Good morning, River Valley. It's great to be back with you. Everybody stand up. I always like praying before I preach. Man, I'm so happy to be here. I can't even tell you. This has really been one of the weekends I've been looking forward to the whole year. Last year when I came here, it was instant love. I mean, just you are an amazing church. And I believe one of the reasons you are so amazing, probably primary, first of all, it's God. But secondly, the amazing leaders he's given you and Pastor Rob and Pastor Becca Ketterling. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And... Um, I too feel like this guy, like he's a brother of another mother. I mean, it's amazing that just, it's amazing how God can put two guys together so fast. And I, I, I'm telling you, I'm all over the world and you have got something very special in what God has given you in this leader. I mean, he loves God passionately and he loves you passionately. I hear it in private and you just better know, I know that the way this man is on this platform is the way he is at a lunch table or any place I see him, even on a golf course where most guys real character manifest, okay? <laughs> but anyway, I want to say it's just great to be here. Um, I'm just uh, come back from Sweden and Norway. I did national conferences, international conferences there. I'm amazed at when I come to Minnesota, how I feel like I'm back in Sweden, okay? It's just that I don't have an interpreter, and it's really cool. So anyway, listen, before I preach to you today, I want to show you the people that are most dear to me. Can I do that? And that is my family. All right, so here's a recent picture. There is my smoking hot, gorgeous wife of 30 years of marriage this October. There's our four sons, Left, Alec, Austin, Arden, Addison, and my daughter-in-law, Juliana, right next to Lisa, and my two G-babies. And you say, what in the world is a G-baby? I am way too young for grandpa, so it is G-daddy and G for short, okay? So here's Asher. You can see he is smiling real big. That is because he's thinking about his G-daddy. And then here is Sophia Grace, and she's the first girl born in the Bevere family since 1967. So, of course, I am her favorite because she gets anything she wants from this man. So anyway, that is my family, and I'll tell you, I'm I'm so in love with my family. The more I love them, the more I realize how much God loves us because we're his family. And I do want to thank you, Pastor Rob, for making me feel like family. I am not a guest speaker. Please, I'm Uncle John, okay? <laughs> so let's pray and let's get in the word, all right? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, I'm grateful for what you're doing here in Minnesota through this church. Today, Holy Spirit, again, glorify our Lord, our wonderful Savior, Jesus. And as you do, may we go from glory to glory. And I'm asking, Father, in Jesus' name, that your word that comes forth today, that it would change us, that it would literally change us forever and ever and ever. May this church, may families, may individuals never be the same again as a result of what you do in this service by your Spirit. Spirit. In Jesus' name, we give you all the glory, and everybody that agrees shouts, Amen. come on, thank God for what he's going to do. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Listen, I'm going to share with you out of a book. I'm not going to tell you the title of the message. It'll be obvious here in a second. But to open up this message, I want to share with you a scripture that has become so dear to me. Two entire books have come out of this one scripture. The Apostle John, when he's in his 90s, pens these words. And look what he says in 2 John 8. He says, look to yourselves. Everybody say, look to myself. So you know immediately this message is not for the person sitting next to you this morning. It is for you. That we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Everybody say full reward. Full reward. Now how many of you know God is a rewarder? Yes. Come on. I mean he appears to Abraham. And you know how he introduces himself? He says, I am your shield. 
your exceeding great reward. What a way to introduce yourself to somebody when you're God. But what really caught my attention on this verse of scripture is the fact that John says full reward. Now, for him to specifically say full reward means what? That means there is a partial reward scenario and a no reward scenario. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't write and say, hey, live in such a way that you're going to get a partial reward. (laughs) Why doesn't he say that? Because God wants you to have the full reward. Can you say amen to that? Now, I started meditating on this because Proverbs says the righteous will be rewarded in the earth. And I thought, okay, what is God saying to us that he wants us to get the full reward on this earth? So I went to the Gospels, and as I meditated on the Gospels in the light of the Scripture, I realized that there were some people in the ministry of Jesus that received full rewards from heaven. There were other people that received partial rewards. There were still others who got nothing. And the more I meditated on the ministry of Jesus, the more I realized there was a thread running through all these different scenarios. And that thread is what I want to share with you this morning. So in order to do so, let me go through a couple incidents with Jesus that will help you understand what I'm talking about. I want to start out in Mark's gospel, the sixth chapter. Jesus actually comes to a city that is looking for the Messiah. They are anticipating his coming, and they know it's the season of his coming. He comes to this city, in the fifth verse of Mark 6, we read this. Now he could, now look at this, he could do no mighty work there, except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. You have to remember in other cities, he's opening up blind eyes, deaf ears, causing crippled people to walk, even raising the dead. But he comes to this city and only a few headaches are getting healed or a bad back or a minor case of arthritis, but not near the miracles that were occurring in the other cities. But the words that really got my attention in this verse were the words, he could do no mighty work. And I remember the day I really saw this, I said, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't say he wouldn't do any mighty work. I can handle that. Because wouldn't deals with his will. It said he couldn't, which means he was restrained. Now the Amplified makes it really clear. The Amplified says he was not able to do any mighty work. And I remember when I saw that, I pushed my Bible back. I said, hold it. Jesus, you're the son of God. You have the spirit of God without measure. You're the Messiah, yet you're restrained? How many of you know we got to understand what restrains Jesus? Come on. Because if we understand what restrains Jesus, we're going to understand what restrains us. So I started searching for the answer, and I found it in the previous two verses. Look what verse uh, 3 says. The people said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Now look at verse 4. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor. Everybody say honor. Honor. Say it again. Say it again except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, what's happening here? Jesus comes to the city in which he was raised in, Nazareth. It's Sabbath. Everybody in the city is in the synagogue. Jesus walks up on the platform, picks up the book of Isaiah, opens it up, and reads a very familiar portion of scripture to the city. It was a scripture everybody in that synagogue knew. It spoke of the coming Messiah. He opens up Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, etc., etc., etc. So nothing's out of the ordinary. Everybody knows this scripture until he closes the book and drops a bomb on them by saying, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I am the Messiah. Now, when he says that, there's wrestling in the crowd. And fathers are looking at their wives going, Honey, isn't this a kid that was raised down the street from us? Somebody else goes, Honey, 
Isn't this the kid that was in Sally's math class? Somebody else goes, honey, isn't this the kid that made the table and chairs in our kitchen? <laughs> now, what's, what's happening here? These people had an image of how the Messiah would come. And their image, now this is what's amazing, was developed from Old Testament scripture. Because the same prophet Isaiah wrote in his book, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and of his kingdom there'll be no end. So they get this image of this militant, warring, conquering Messiah coming, delivering them from Roman rule, reestablishing the throne of David, and ruling forever and ever and ever. But when Jesus comes, it's one of their hometown boys who made the furniture in their house. Now he's got a bunch of prostitutes and mafia following him because the tax collectors were the mafia of the day. <laughs> they go, hold it. This is not the way we expect Messiah to come. Now that tells me something right there. Many times God will send you what you need in a package you don't want. Why does God do that? Because he is God, okay? So when he doesn't come the way they expect him to come, they withhold honor from him. Everybody say honor. Now, I have done an extensive amount of study on the Greek word there for honor in verse 4. And the Greek word there for honor is the Greek word timi, which literally means this, a valuing. When you speak of honor to a Greek person, they will think of something that is valuable, weighty, precious, such as gold. Now, how many of you know you just don't throw gold anywhere? You, you, you don't put it in your junk drawer. You put it in a place of value. Are you with me? Other definitions of this word are to appreciate. Now, listen to the definitions. To esteem to favorably regard, to respect. Now, sometimes we can understand better what a word is by looking at what it is not. The antonyms of honor is dishonor, the Greek word atimi. It is defined as to treat as common, to treat as ordinary. So I want you to think with me. The opposite of honor is to treat somebody as common or ordinary, to not show respect, to not value. Now, in some of the major dictionaries that I examined, I found out that honor can be displayed in action, in word, even in thought. But all true honor originates from the heart. This is why God says in Isaiah 29, verse 13, this people draws near to me with their mouths, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts they've removed far from me, and their reverence towards me is taught by the precepts of men. God said my people had the actions of honor, even the songs of honor, the words of honor, but they don't have true honor because true honor originates from the heart and is an outflow of the reverential fear of the Lord. So what happens is because Jesus does not come the way they expect him to come, they withhold honor from him. The result is a few bad backs got healed, maybe a minor case of arthritis or a headache, but not near the miracles that happened in the other cities. They got a small partial reward because of one word. Everybody say it, honor. If you go to Luke's gospel, the fifth chapter, you've got Jesus teaching in a very large house. The Bible says there was a multitude of teachers and preachers in the house. Now, probably a couple hundred teachers and preachers in there. And the Bible says as he's teaching them, the power of the Lord is there to heal them. Everybody say them. them. Now, who is them? The teachers and the preachers. Now, how many of you know God never wastes anything? If the power of the Lord's there to heal them, that means at least one of them need to be healed. When you've got a couple hundred guys in a room, you know, law of averages, a half a dozen or a dozen need to be healed. But none of them got healed. It wasn't until some men tried to get in the meeting, but they couldn't because the house was so full. They went up in the roof, broke open the roof, and let down a paralytic on ropes. And the Bible said when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, when Jesus said, man, your sins are forgiven you, the teachers and the preachers just thought this. So I want to make it clear. They're not looking at each other going, hey, Charlie, 
Can you believe what he just said? No, Frank, to be quite honest, this is ridiculous. They're not talking to each other. They just think this. Who is this that can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And the Bible says when Jesus knew their thoughts, he looked at him and said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk so that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks out. And you know what the Bible says? All those teachers were greatly amazed. They were greatly amazed, but none of them got healed even though the power of the Lord was originally there to heal them. They got no reward from heaven. Why? Because they dishonored Jesus just in their thinking. Thoughts count. If you go to Matthew chapter eight, you've got an officer of the, uh, of the Roman army. He's a centurion. He comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, would you please heal my servant? He's dreadfully tormented. Jesus said, I'll come to your house and heal your servant. The officer immediately goes, no, no, no. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Wait a minute, I'm not worthy. This is the conqueror speaking to the conquered. Remember, Rome conquered Israel. This is an officer of the Roman army speaking to a Jewish carpenter. Do you see the honor he's showing Jesus? And then he says, he gives the reason. He says, because I also am a man under authority. And he said, because I'm under authority, I have authority. So all I have to do is say one word and my soldiers instantly obey me because I'm under authority. He said, and Jesus, I recognize you're under your father's authority. So I know all you have to do is say one word and that devil's got to leave my servant like my soldiers instantly obey me when I say a word. Jesus marveled at this. Now, when Jesus marvels, that gets my attention. And Jesus looks at the crowd and, he's gonna, and he said to them, he said, I'm going to tell you, I've not found this much faith in all of Israel. Do you know what Jesus just said? He just said, I found more faith in this Roman officer than John the Baptist because he found John the Baptist in Israel or Mary or the 12 or anybody else. Now, I'm a man of faith, and I know the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I would be willing to bet, and I would win this bet, this Roman officer heard far less scriptures than John the Baptist, but he had more faith than John the Baptist. Why? Because of his understanding of honor and authority. He received a full reward. His servant was instantly healed. Now, you can go all through the Gospels. Those who honored Jesus greatly got a full reward. Those who withheld honor got a partial reward. Those who dishonored him got nothing. You'll see it all through the Gospels. And so then you come to the week before Jesus was crucified, Palm Sunday, and Jesus makes the most amazing statement in Luke's Gospel, the 13th chapter, the 35th verse. Look what he says. I tell you, you will not see me, Jesus, again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's he saying here? He's saying, I'm going away in a week. I'm going to be crucified in a week, then I'll send to heaven a few weeks after that. You won't see me again until you say, Blessed is he or she who comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, I'm going away and you're not going to see me again until you honor the one I send you in my name. Why is that? Because Jesus says it over and over again in the Gospels. Here's one such example, John 13, verse 20. He who receives, I will replace the word receives with honors because they are one and the same. He who honors whomever I send honors me and that's Jesus, and he who honors me, Jesus, honors the Father who sent me. Now, God has given us the spiritual law in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 31. God says, those who honor me, I will honor them. God says, those who lightly esteem me, I will lightly esteem them. How would you ever lightly esteem God? By lightly esteeming the one Jesus sends us, we lightly esteem Jesus. By lightly esteeming Jesus, we lightly esteem the Father. And the Father said, I'll lightly esteem you. Not a good idea when you need a prayer answered, right? All right, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says it again. 
He who honors you honors me, Jesus. See, this is all over the Gospels. And he who honors me, Jesus, honors the Father who sent me. Now look at the next statement. And uh, he said, he who honors a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's what? Everybody say it again. Say it again. What's the first scripture we read? See that you receive a full reward. Now look at the next statement. And he who receives or honors a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's what? And look at the next statement, verse 42. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water honors them in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall not lose his what? What is Jesus speaking of here? He's speaking of the three levels of human beings you will ever come in contact with. Those who are above us in authority, our leaders. Those who are on our level of authority, our peers. And those who are entrusted to our care, whom Jesus refers to as, as little ones. Honoring each of these levels of authority brings a certain reward from heaven. Why? Because Jesus said, you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, You've done it to me. And what you've done to me, you've done to the Father, and the Father will do to you. Amen. Are you enjoying this? Now, let me talk to you about the three levels of authority that Jesus just spoke about briefly in our our, our remaining time. First of all, he says prophet. Everybody say prophet. Now, you can easily, he's talking about church authority there, but you can easily span it out to the other three areas of authority that God's placed over our life. Because how many of you know that God's delegated four areas of authority over each of our lives? Can I see a show of hands if you know that, right? Ooh, a lot of you don't. Okay, we'll take a step back. How many of you know the Bible says all authority is of God? Wow, how many of you know that? Ooh, okay. The Bible does say that. Now, a lot of people don't like that verse. That's why they don't know it so well, because why they've had mean, cruel, dishonest authorities. But let me make this really clear. The Bible says all authorities of God. The Bible does not say all authority is godly, <laughs> okay? The authorities of God, the behavior's not. There are ungodly authorities all through this Bible. Their authority was from God, but their behavior was not. Got it? I mean, I have found that Americans are the hardest people in the whole world to preach the gospel to. I've been in every continent except Antarctica. I haven't preached to the penguins yet. But... I've discovered that Westerners in particular are the hardest people in the whole world to preach the gospel to. And the reason is so simple. We are a people trying to understand kingdom principles with a democratic mindset. Okay, democracy is great for America. But if you try to relate with God with your democratic mindset, you and God won't even connect. He's a king. And he's not a figurehead king like, you know, the woman in England. Okay, he's a real king. Okay, and so he has rank, order, and authority. So if you try to relate with God with your democratic mindset you're gonna be on the wrong playing field as he's on. Are you with me? So what are the four areas of authority that he's delegated over our lives? First of all, civil authorities. What are our civil authorities? That's your president, vice president, right down to the policeman on the street. What's next? Family authority. Husband's the head of the home, wife is submit to the husband, children obey their parents. What's the next one? Our social authorities, bosses, coaches, teachers. The Bible specifically speaks on that. And the final one that Jesus was specifically referring to when he said prophet is church authority. Now, let's talk about each. Civil authority, what does the Bible say about that in Romans 13? It says, for rulers, civil authorities are not to be feared by those who do good, but by those who do evil, because they are God's servants. Everybody say, God's servants. Working for your own good. You know, I was in the gym about six or seven years ago, and I started witnessing, in in Colorado Springs where I live, I started witnessing this man and woman who were working out on on the machine beside me. And it turns out, as I talked to him, there was a policeman and a policewoman. 
And in the course of the conversation, I just looked at him and said, whoa, the respect that I have in my heart for you two is enormous because God says you are his servants. And the policeman looks at me and goes, dude, are you serious? I said, yeah. He said, the Bible says I'm one of God's servants. I said, yeah. He said, I'm tattooing that scripture right on my back. And sure enough, a couple weeks later, he picked up his T-shirt, and there it was, Romans 13, right on his back. I said, man, you got it. I hope you're saved, okay? (laughs) So look at verse 6. That is also why you pay taxes, because the authorities are working for God when they fulfill their duties. What does that mean? Next time you're 15 miles over the speed limit, you see red and blue lights flashing in your rearview mirror. Don't bind the devil. He's not working for the devil. He's working for God. That's when you pray for mercy. (laughs) Verse seven, pay them what you owe them. Pay them your personal and property taxes and show respect and what? What? Now keep reading for all the nice ones, right? Ah, you mean that's not what it says? Wait a minute, John. You tell me we're supposed to honor a mean, cruel, dishonest authority? Well, let me let the Bible interpret the Bible. First Peter 2, 17, Peter said, fear God, honor the king. What is Peter saying there? He's saying, how can you say you fear or respect God whom you cannot see when you cannot respect the person he's placed his authority on that you do see? Sure as quietness, Methodist church, you still here? (laughs) Sorry, Lutheran church. Um, I'm in Sweden. I forgot all about it, okay? All right. Now, do you know who the king that Peter is referring to here historically? Herod Agrippa I. Who is King Herod Agrippa I? He was the king of Judea who murdered Christians in cold blood to gain political favor with the larger segment of people, the Jewish people. How in the world are you supposed to honor a guy that's murdering Christians in cold blood? It's not easy, but this is what you gotta do. You gotta see beyond the man's behavior and see the authority that's on the man. See, in America, what we say to an authority is you have to first earn my respect. The fear of God doesn't say that because the fear of God doesn't judge by the seeing of the eye, the hearing of the ear. It judges according to righteous judgment. The fear of God doesn't say you have to earn my respect. The fear of God says I see the authority that is on you. Therefore, you already have my respect because I honor your position, not your behavior. Good preaching. Amen. I'm helping some of you right now. Okay. All right. So I'm in this church. I, I went to this church in the Midwest part of the United States. I went for three years back in the early 90s. Church wasn't growing. It had been 100 people for, for 10 years. And then they asked me to come back a couple years later, and they had over 1,000 people. I said to the pastor, what happened? You guys were stuck in 100 people for all those years, and now you're over 100,000 people. What happened? And he said, I'll tell you what happened. My people, I got so fed up with them complaining about our city officials and trying to cut corners, paying taxes. I put Romans 13 up on the, on the screen, and he said, I preached Romans 13 on a Sunday morning. I said, listen, how dare you speak about God's servants the way you criticize our city officials? How dare you try to hold back from God's servants by not paying taxes? And And he said, we're going to repent. The city needs $25,000. He said, we're going to receive an offering for them this morning because they're God's servants. He said, John, that 100 people gave me $25,000. He said, I gave the check to the mayor. The mayor was overwhelmed. He said, we did a building dedication. Almost every worker in the city came. He said, it was a thing that blew open our city. We honored the authority of God on our city. And God rewarded our church by opening the city to us. That's honor's reward. You got it? I said, you got it? What about family authority? What does the Bible say? In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, honor your father and mother, which is the first suggestion with a promise. Oh, excuse me. The first commandment with a promise. Sorry, I got that one wrong. Now, do you see the word promise? The reward is attached to the command. Do you see this? What's the reward? It's the next verse. It's actually two rewards. Number one, that it may be well with you. And number two, that you may live long on the earth. I can't think of two better rewards for honoring your mom and dad. Can you? 
a long life and a successful life. Do you understand you have a promise of God that you can stand up and look at cancer and say, get out of this household. I honored my mother and father. I do honor my mother and father. I will live long and I will be successful. Whoa, that's cool. Isn't that really cool? Now, the problem is we live in a society that trains us to dishonor our mother and father. You know, you saw those four boys I showed you on the screen. I'm gonna be honest with you, they're four of the most godly young men I know. And I coupled them together with, with, with Connor and Tyler too. Ty- Logan, excuse me, Connor and Logan. My mind just went, you know, I'm doing a lot of things right now. There were certain movies that we refused our, ch- our, our boys to watch when they were toddlers. I mean, we refused. They were G-rated movies, okay? Let me help you. Put out by the company in LA and Orlando. You got it? Why did I forbid my kids to watch those movies? Because all through the movies, those kids talk so disrespectfully and dishonorably to their parents that at the end of the movie, they got the reward they were after, like the car, the dog, dog, the monkey. I said, you're not watching these movies. I forbid it. I said, I'd rather you watch movies with righteous killing in it because that's all over the Old Testament, but you're not watching these movies. <laughs> now, there were some people that thought we were being a little too extreme, but I don't think so because Deuteronomy 27, 16 says curse. Now, if your neighbor says you curse, big deal. God says you curse. That's a really bad day. Cursed, he says, is he who dishonors his father and mother and all the people shall say amen. You know what's amazing? If you look at the Ten Commandments, how many of you know God put them in the list of the order of importance? The first commandment being the most important, the tenth being the least. How do I know that? Jesus said the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. The second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two hang all the commandments. You look at the commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with the Lord our God. The last six deal with our relationship with our neighbor, correct? So God put them in the list of the order of importance. Now, I'd say murder is pretty severe, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Number six on the list. Adultery is really bad. That's number seven on the list. Stealing, yikes, that's number eight on the list. Do you know what God puts above all three of those? Dishonoring your mother and father. It's number five on the list. Could it be that God sees dishonoring your mother and father as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery? Now, I am not trying to justify murder, stealing, or adultery. The Bible says those who practice such will not inherit the kingdom, and you will do jail time on a couple of them as well. However, I do believe that God sees dishonoring your mother and father as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. And I have proof. First Chronicles chapter 5, New Living Translation says, Reuben, who is the firstborn of Jacob, lost his birthright because he dishonored his father. Secondborn, Simeon. Thirdborn, Levi, murdered men in cold blood in a city called Shechem. Nothing happened to their birth order. Why? Because God sees dishonoring your mother and father as a more serious offense than murder, stealing, or adultery. Why do we tell society to tell us what's important to God? Why don't we just go find out? Put yourself in the devil's shoes just for 30 seconds, okay? You got a bunch of people, you don't want them successful. What do you do? Put a bunch of nice movies out, rate them G, train people how to dishonor their parents so you can legally get into their life and keep them from being successful. He is not as stupid as we thought him to be. Okay, let's go to the next one. Maybe the next one will get you happy. Social. Okay, let as many as are servants, students, employees, athletes, under the yoke, count their own masters, teachers, bosses, coaches, worthy of some honor or all honor. Come on, I didn't hear everybody. All All honor. I was playing a $200 million golf course a couple years ago. Now, this is one of the most beautiful golf courses I've ever played. It's on the coast of Florida. The clubhouse, oh my gosh, it was unbelievable. To this day, I haven't seen a clubhouse better, okay? And there's no members in this golf course. It's owned by one man. 
okay? Only his friends play there. I mean, it was quite remarkable. Mayor Bloomfield of New York was on the putting green. Bob Greasy of the Miami Dolphins was in the group behind me. Two tables down from me at lunch was Tom Brokoff, the reporter. And right next to me was uh, Jim Leland, the coach of the Detroit Tigers at lunch. Okay, so I'm playing golf on this guy's personal golf course and I'm playing with the manager who manages the grounds. In other words, he's over the 35 guys that mow the greens and all that stuff, right? And he's a Christian and I'm getting ready to hit my shot and I looked up at him and said, you need to take care of this golf course as if Jesus himself owned it. And he goes, what are you talking about, John? I said, hey, the Bible says that you are to not serve your employers as men pleasers, but as unto the Lord. He went, oh my goodness. I said, you need to take care of this golf course as if Jesus owns it, not Mr. H. He said, man, that totally changes the way I view this golf course. I said, good, let's keep playing. And I beat him that day. That was good. <laughs> All right. All right, number four, church authority. Now, this is the one I specifically was talking, or Jesus was specifically talking about when he said prophet. And look what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. It says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Listen carefully to me. Please hear what I'm about to say. I have certain friends that I know personally. When I think of these friends, the two guys I think of are T.L. Osborne and Reinhard Bunke. Who is T.L. Osborne? Lisa and I almost went to work for he and his wife, Daisy, in 1987. At that time, they had already led 62 million people to Jesus Christ, mostly Muslim people. Not on television, in their crusades in Africa. They would have anywhere from 300 to 500,000 people a night in their crusades. In one service, they would see hundreds of deaf ears open up. They would see scores in one service of blind eyes open up. They would see crippled people who had never walked, walk in their services. Reinhard Bunke, he and I were having lunch. I said, Reinhard, do you see miracles in your crusades in Africa? Oh, brother, yes. Hundreds of deaf ears open up. You know, Reinhard. And blind eyes, he's German, you know. And... Uh, I look at these two men, they come back to America. They come back to the United States. They have a meeting in the United States. Same man, same message, same anointing. In their American meetings, a few headaches get healed. Maybe a bad back or a minor case of arthritis. Why? One word, honor. See, I know, I've been to these nations in Africa. I've been in the Middle East and Asia. Um, sometimes it almost scares me the way they take care of me. I remember I just flew into the Middle East last year, year of Armenia, and I land on the plane. The whole plane is getting off and filing into customs and immigration. There's a whole delegation waiting at the bottom, standing at attention. When I walk down, they grab me. They whisk me into a room. They give me really good food. And then they say, would you like to go to the hotel? I said, well, what about immigrations and customs? They go, oh, no, 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 don't worry about it. We take care of that. And then they take me to the nicest hotel in the whole city. I remember I was coming out of preaching to 10,000 people in Mombasa, Kenya. When I come out, my delegation, same thing, is walking me to this room. They put me in a chair that looks almost like a throne. I'm sitting down. And then three women come up to me and they're bowing. One has a basin, one has a towel, one has a pitcher. I said, what are they here to do? And they said, they're here to wash your hands before you eat. I think, I can wash my own hands. And the Holy Spirit inside of me said, don't you dare not let them do this. I remember another time I was speaking to 3,000 senior pastors from 18 countries in Africa. Associate pastors were not permitted in the meeting. Pastor Billy Joe Daugherty had spoken to them. I, I was speaking to them. And I remember in between the meetings, a person comes and serves me a meal. As they're walking away, the leader of this meeting says, do you see who just served your, your dinner to you? I said, yeah. He said, that person's the head of the CIA of the entire nation. I said, whoa, they just served my dinner? And then he looked at me and he said, aren't you the man of God? 
Then all of a sudden I thought, okay, we don't get it in America, okay? We've confused worship with honor. Forever and ever and ever, we will worship only our Father and only our Lord Jesus Christ. But forever and ever, we will honor those to whom honor is due because God loves honor. Are you with me? I said, are you with me? See, here's the situation, folks. Listen carefully to me. I go to these nations, and these people are on the edge of their seats. I was speaking to 2,500 leaders in the Middle East last year. They're on the edge of their seats. They're anticipating every word. The whole place smells from how many people are in the building because there's 2,500 in, in about an 1,800 room. You know, they, well, they've got more people in than it's supposed to be. And they're on the edge of their seats. And I come to America, and they're sitting there going, we've heard them all. What do you have to say? So they get their eyes open. We get our headaches healed. Look what, look what Paul says to Timothy, okay? Let the elders who rule well, now look at this carefully, be counted worthy of what? Double. Everybody say it, double. double honor. I didn't write this, okay? God wrote it, okay, through a man named Paul. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word of God and doctrine. This is the only place you'll find double honor in the whole Bible. You will not find it in regard to civil authority, in regard to social authority, not even family authority. The only place God says you are to give double honor is to those who labor in the word of God and doctrine. You know, I look at Dr. Cho. I have a lot of respect for Dr. Cho. He built a church of 830,000 members, largest church in the world. I have hosted him twice. I've played golf with him. I mean, talk about an amazing man. He started his church in a dump, in a dump, do you understand? And now he has over 50,000 million and billionaires in his congregation. Okay? But I, I saw something. Both times I, I hosted him, he had 20 businessmen that tra traveled with him. They wouldn't let him pay for anything. They'd stand at attention when he walked in a room. I remember I walked into a restaurant in Orlando, Florida, and there are 20 Korean businessmen standing at attention. He sits down, and all 20 sat down, and they fought over who would pay for his lunch because they wanted the honor of blessing him. He's got a church of 830,000. He's changed the whole society of Korea. I was just there in January, okay, in Korea. So we in Western world, hey, we keep our pastor humble. They're changing their whole country. All because of honor. I remember when I was a youth pastor, one of my young people, I'd only been a youth pastor for about two months, and he walked up to me. He was a really popular kid. His name was Joel. He said, Pastor John, would you be my buddy? He said, you know, my previous youth pastor was my buddy. I felt this check inside. And I looked at him and I said, Joel, Jesus said you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you're going to get a prophet's reward. You receive a pastor in the name of a pastor, you're going to get a pastor's reward. You receive a buddy in the name of a buddy, you're going to get a buddy's reward. So you got a lot of buddies, don't you? He said, oh, yeah. I said, you got one youth pastor. What do you want from me? A youth pastor's reward or a buddy's reward? Because the way you receive me, that's what you get. He said, I want a youth pastor's reward. Good choice, Joel. And I walked away. He got it, and he was greatly blessed. You see, here's the thing. The problem's not with the minister. The problem's not with the preacher. The problem is with how the preacher is received. If you look at Hannah, she got a baby. And the pastor, God said there was no forgiveness for him forever. Forever. And yet it took him saying to her when she honored him, he called her a drunk, but she said, 
My, no, sir, I'm not drunk. I'm just praying to God. And he said, may God grant your petition. What she prayed for for years, she didn't get until the man that God said there was no forgiveness for looked at her and said, may God grant your petition. It wasn't have to do with him. He was really bad. It had to do with the way she received him. Sure is quiet here. You getting this? Now, you know, the sad thing is I've run out of time. I can't, I, you know, the most exciting aspects of this are the, our peers. Remember Jesus said the righteous man, that's our peers and those that are entrusted to our authority, the little ones. And you know, I spent more time writing about that in the book, so that means you gotta get the book, okay? But let me just say, say the most exciting aspect of this whole message is the, is the people that are under us. You know, that's our wives, our children, that's our staff members, our church members, our, our city members, anybody that God puts under you, your authority. You know what the Bible says? Let's just talk about wives. Husbands, honor your wives as the weaker vessel. Now, weaker vessel doesn't mean she's beneath you. It just means she can't bench press as much as you. That's all it means. <laughs> she is an heir together in the grace of life, okay? In fact, you know what the Bible says, husbands, if you don't honor your wife? The Bible says heaven will not listen to your prayers. That is a miserable place to be that heaven is not listening to you. Hey, brother John, can I pray for you? <laughs> no, thanks. I watch the way you talk to your wife. Don't waste my time because heaven's not listening to you right now. <laughs> Are you with me? Sure is qu- Are you here? Are you just listening good? Is that what you're doing, right? I know that's what you're doing, right? Because you worship so beautifully. Folks, when I went to write this book, God commanded me to write this book. Let me tell you something. I went to Barnes and Nobles. I said to Barnes and Nobles, I went to two different employees. I said, would you please please do a search for me because they can search every book in the Library of Congress under subject or under title. If there's a word in the title or it's in the subject matter, they can search it out. I said, would you search every book on honor? First employee said to me, there's only one book written on honor. I said, no way. So I went and found another employee. I said, could you please do a search for me? One book. Why do you think America is the way it is right now? Because the enemy is trying to destroy us by getting us to withhold honor because heaven loves honor.